lovely people. Welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. Now, usually here on the Bedpost Podcast, I have a fun and sexy guest here in the studio, and we talk about sex and sexuality, but today I'm doing another solo episode. I had really good reception to it the last time I did it, and it's been a while, and you know what? I uh, <laughs> I didn't have a guest this week, so I thought, <laughs> let's do another So I took questions on a couple different socials, so I'm going to amalgamate them. Is that the right word for it? I don't know. Another thing I should say is that you, if you enjoy just me talking, then you will love the Bedpost Patreon. You know what? You will love the Bedpost Patreon. Patreon.com slash the Bedpost Show. You basically get 30-minute episodes uh, just with me. And depending on the tier, you get one one a month or two a month or whatever. And usually those are like me talking about uh, the sessions that I do at work as a dominatrix or like personal sexy stuff. So you kind of you get some saucy details. And sometimes I do uh, Q&A's on there as well uh, when I when I <laughs> run into when I get when I get in a pickle <laughs> and I need to put an episode out. So here we are. All right. So question one, what piece of advice would you give to someone new to kink or who's only done online play and is considering real time forms of play? That is a fabulous question. And I love that, you know, you, you started with online, you kind of dipped your toe in the, in the watery pools of kink, and then now you're going to go into a dungeon type scenario. Um, That's a great way to go about it, first of all. And then second of all, piece of advice um, that, you know, there can be a shift going from one to the other, because it's more tactile, you know. Basically, with like online play, it would be the dominatrix or or the dominant, whomever, telling you to do things to yourself, basically. Um, but in a dungeon scenario, that person, the facilitator, is doing things to you with their own hands. So it's going to feel very different. So just get ready um, for things to maybe feel a little different. Like for instance, some activities you may like more with someone doing them to you. You may like less. You may kind of realize you feel kind of neutral about them or, you know, any sort of nuanced emotions that might happen in between. Like, you know, maybe stuff is being brought up either good or bad or on the spectrum. Uh, in between when somebody else is doing the ex- these activities to you. Maybe they can feel a lot more intense. Or maybe, you know, some things might not work because you're used to doing them yourself and you do them in a very specific way. So just to be open that you're going to learn, you're going to continue on your journey of learning and exploring. You know what I mean? Like the things that you're doing might feel set in stone if you're kind of doing them to yourself and you're doing the same things and you're doing them regularly. But basically once you get in a dungeon, uh, it's like starting from square one again, having another person in the room that you're going to have to communicate with. You're going to have to you know, negotiate with. And by negotiate, I mean, that's, that's what we talk. That's what we talk. <laughs> that's what kinksters um, say when they mean talking about what they're going to do in the scene, like what they're going to do for the play. We call it negotiation. Um, vanilla people just call it talking beforehand. Um, so you're going to have to do that. And like this person, you know, unless you let them know what you would like to do and what you don't want to do and what you're exploring and like all of your nuanced feelings surrounding these activities and intentions and like they're not going to know because they're not a mind reader. So that's a step that you're going to have to take that might feel new. So my main piece of advice is just get ready to learn. You know, this is a new exciting 
thing that you're going to go and do. So just be open to, to playing. Okay, next question. It says, I wondered what the big difference is in play style between playing with a woman and a man as a dom. Uh, other play layers, it says. For example, linear, linear, whoa, like linear, linear, but with a Z on the end, linearity, I did it, uh, or monologue, intensity and emotion, or the relativity of time. Wow, these are a lot of big concepts um, that you're bringing in <laughs> to this question. Just kind of in brackets at the end there. Um, I mean... I, as a pro uh, kink facilitator, I um, I accept clients of all genders, so not even just men and women. And I think that the main the main differences, perhaps, say if you're socialized female or you're socialized male, then we're dealing with different taboos, aren't we? So, like, you know, it it's not only that there are different bodies, you know, because there are different bodies and regardless of gender, right? Like suddenly you'll have breasts to play with and that's fun. Um, you know, or you have a dick or you have a Volvo. Wow. Like different things like that, that you can suddenly do, um, different activities perhaps. But I mean, also we all have holes. We all have nipples. We have, so I don't know. The main difference, I think, rather than like looking at like bodies in that way, to me, the main difference is like because of the way we've been socialized that uh, then we have different taboos that we uh, that we can play with in kink scenarios. Right. Like taboos are often what informs our desires in the bedroom and in kinky scenarios. So I say that's the main difference. Let me just scan this again. Um, linearity or monologue, intensity and emotion, or the relativity of time. I mean, I think those are all things that vary just based on, uh, you know, different clients, different people, um, because everybody is so very different, regardless of gender. You know what I mean? So I don't think I, I've noticed any patterns as far as does time pass faster? Can you go in more intense with one gender? Um, do more emotions come up with one gender? I don't think I can give any kind of blanket statements as far as that goes, because we're all different people. And um, you'd be surprised how how different each session can look you know, and I mean, even between you have two cis men, those sessions can be either deeply, deeply emotional, or super brutal, you know, like, uh, all all different. And I don't think that has any bearing on, um, like, that's not attributed to the gender of the person. Okay, here's an easy one that just says, how do you expect your clients to appear to the session in terms of hygiene or shaving? hygiene I mean my basic expectations are that you have showered um (laughs) and I mean if we're doing like internal anal play like strap on play pegging that sort of a thing then you know douching would be a good idea but also you don't absolutely have to douche for anal play like just in general that's not a thing that is a requirement and I'm not like I, I have a lot of experience topping anal play, so, like, I'm not going to get completely freaked out if things get, like, a little messy. That's totally fine. Uh, the expectation should be, like, with anal play, the expectation should be that if you're playing with the anus, then, you know, you probably we will see a little bit um, of scat. So, um I do expect people to shower, though. Shaving, I would never, like, put expectations on other pe- how other people maintain their own body hair. That's their, their decision. Um, and I would never, you know, I wouldn't like if people had expectations surrounding my body hair. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't like when people request to have my body hair a certain way. You know what I mean? Like, so I would never do that to a client. Uh, going the other way. 
Okay, another question says, both me and my wife are vanilla kinky, lol, but want to do more. How do we move on to more kinky things? Well, that is a very general question um, with not a lot of information into it. So vanilla kinky. Yeah. Um, so to me, that looks like maybe you're just kind of doing your usual vanilla sex thing, but maybe you're doing, you're peppering in some kinky elements. You know what I mean? Maybe there's a little face slap in there at one point, or you're smacking the person's ass at one point. You know, a lot of vanilla folks, you know, reach for that, they grab at that throat to do a little breath play, which is not something, by the way, I endorse uh, people that don't know how to do breath play safely, just suddenly, um, you know, reaching for someone's neck. So I am aware that these things happen, though, uh, in quote unquote, vanilla sex or vanilla kinky, as this person said. So if you want to move into do like more kinky things, what I would suggest is that you're going to do set it up like a full kink scene, right? So, you know, usually uh, with vanilla sex, you know, you just kind of start making out and then it moves into other sexual activities. For like a kink scene, how I would facilitate one at work is like, okay, let's sit down and talk about the kinks we want to play with today. And let's talk about the nuances of these activities. Like, how do you want to feel? And like, what is the intensity? What is interesting to you about these kinks? And really like kind of break down what is hot about them. And like, what's the narrative going on in your head when we're doing these activities? You know, that could inform dirty talk. That could inform, um, you know, how tenderly or how, you know, other things I'm doing while I'm doing this activity. So I would encourage you to like have a proper negotiation, a kink negotiation, and then start your scene, like take a minute to like, you know, get ready, prepare yourself, maybe be in separate rooms for just like a couple minutes. Maybe you're getting into your, an outfit perhaps or something like that. You don't have to have an outfit, but, and then you enter in role, you know, if there's power dynamics involved, one of you might be, you know, dominant or submissive. There are a lot of other roles you can kind of take, but like, then you enter in role and you're going to do, you know, this scene that you planned out, you know, you might have, you might have not planned it out like beat by beat, but maybe you have a general idea of where this, uh, the two of you have decided a general idea of where this is going to begin, what the middle looks like and what we're thinking of for like an ending. So that could be, um, you know, activities, you know, the end, you know, sometimes ends with an orgasm. So how would we like to do that? Doesn't always have to end with an orgasm, of course, doesn't have to include genitals at all. So yeah, I would uh, suggest that to kind of shake up the whole format of how you're going to do this. And that might kind of open the door for more types of uh, kinky play. More kinks, but like also to deepen the play you're doing currently. Okay, here's a funny one. Have you ever had an orgasm while doming someone? If so, what was the activity? Um, I'm saying no, because I don't have an orgasm easily. And for me, uh, as a pro kink facilitator, like how I do my sessions is I'm fully clothed. So my genitals aren't really involved. So I need my genitals to be stimulated to have an orgasm. And I need very specific stimulation. It doesn't just like happen for me if I just kind of lean against, I don't know, something <laughs> or like the uh you know the fantasy that's happening in my head um so that is a no in my personal life I mean uh I dom very differently like I can you know I can be naked if I want I can have my genitals involved uh so that's a different story yes I definitely have done that in my personal life um but the activity has to be like yeah me directing like basically getting service topped. So me directing the bottom or the submissive to uh, pleasure me in certain ways. So if you're asking what was the activity that was happening, it was like worship, basically. 
Okay, what's your favorite kink and sex toy on men and women? It says, I mean, the magic wand is a go-to, you know, and if I wanted to, I love tease and denial, right? So what I like is getting that butterfly attachment on the magic wand. If it's uh, someone that has a penis, if it is a penis owner, then maybe get the butterfly attachment on the magic wand. Um, if not, then just use the magic wand as is kind of on the vulva if they're a vulva owner. That's one that just like is fun to pepper in, um, a little pain, a little pleasure. If the person's into tease and denial and stuff like that, that's one that, that really, um, is regularly makes an appearance in the dungeon, the magic wand, right? But of course, you can do the same thing if you don't have one of those. So if you're at home and being like, "Ooh, I want to do tease and denial, but um, then you can just um, you can be stimulate the person manually, like with your hands, uh, or you can be directing the person to stimulate themselves while you're doing such activities. So you can be doing all sorts of other activities. Pain can be involved or not involved, whatever, but you can be uh, directing it that way without sans toys sans plug-in toys what was the oldest and youngest age of your clients um I had someone who was like freshly 18 recently and I had a couple like 19 year olds but like freshly 18 was like 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 by a week or not even so that's the youngest I've had I was checking that ID I tell you double double check triple check um and oldest, yeah, I see elderly clients very regularly. So I don't know their exact ages, but you know, up there in their in their seventies um, and maybe eighties. I don't know. What was the most odd request you received from a client? I mean, I had a fairly unique. I'm not going to say odd because I'm not going to put like judgment on it, but I had a unique request. That was like the person wanted to be tied with like many, many silk scarves. Um, so they, they brought in like, they bought like 50 silk scarves and brought them in and like bandanas and like, they just had a um, interest in like bondage, but like only via like materials. So they actually brought in like so many different materials to like mix and match. And they were like really colorful and um, they just wanted layers and layers and layers of bondage that was just like pantyhose and like uh, fabric hairbands, like a lot of fabric stuff, all these scarves and like, yeah, stuff like that. So that was kind of a unique one I hadn't gotten before. Okay, this question says, is it something one can learn or something you're innately good with? And it's unclear if they're talking about kink or sex or whatever, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that whether it's either or any of those things, you can always learn. You can definitely always learn. and It's never too late to learn. And I'm going to go so far as to say that no one is just like great at sex, you know, like that is definitely, I, I spoke kind of uh, beforehand about like, how are you socialized? And I think men are often socialized that they just have to know what to do. And that, um, you know, is a real block to communicating about like what really feels good for people. And, um, so yeah, I think that's a stigma specifically for men that you are just supposed to know how to please your partner. And that's a very, you know, toxic masculine thing that you, you know, you can't ever appear vulnerable, like you don't know something, you know what I mean? Like that's some, that's somehow emasculating for you to um, appear vulnerable. So that, that sucks, right? Because then that's not going to facilitate great sex. So of course you, you um, can learn. And not only that, it's like, you could know everything there is to know, not really, but like you could know most things about how to please one person but then when you have another partner it's like starting from scratch again and it's going to be like that your whole life right maybe there's some stuff you can carry over certainly but like 
bodies are so different and people like all sorts of different stimulation and people have all sorts of different fantasies. Like it's endless, right? For me, I always say every day is a school day, even though I am a professional kink facilitator, because you really can't know everything there is to know about kink or about sex, right? And yeah, you can't help but learn. And for me, like I see a lot of different people all the time, new people all the time that I haven't met before, right? And you just, you kind of learn something new every time you play with a new person. So of course you can learn. And that can come from, you know, uh, like that can come from books. There are a lot of great books about sex and about kink out there. And classes you can take. Uh, Ritual Chamber offers so many great classes. Like you are, you're not, you're not supposed to just know this stuff. Who is going to know, suddenly just know this? Even about your own body, that's something you have to learn, you know? And so how, how could you possibly know someone else's body without really sitting down and talking to them about it and exploring with them? So there, that's my answer to that very vague question. <laughs> Here's another one. How do you fit a person with a large penis for a cock cage? Is there one that will fit? Yes, definitely. I don't have any like brands on hand to um, to recommend. But yeah, I got this question once on Twitter before. And I also didn't know brands at the time. So I just made a tweet about it. And I was like, hey, recos for large dicks, cock cages for large dicks. And there are like dozens of responses of ones that people use. So honestly, just Google, Google it. And um, lots, lots of those will come up. Okay, here's one that I will have a bit of an answer for, but for obvious reasons, can't really have an in-depth answer for it. It says, how the heck do poly relationships and wanting kids work? So why I'm saying obviously I can't really do an in-depth answer is because I don't have kids. And I, I don't think I've really ever dated anyone with kids. Maybe like play partners. Sure. Yeah. I've fucked people with kids for certainly like in my personal life outside of work. But my very general answer to this question is like, the more people in a supportive role around a kid, the better. Um, And yeah, some things might get complicated. But with kind of mixed families, blended families, like for instance, you know, if they're a parent's parents, if a parent's gets divorced, you know, and then there are kind of two families, it's like, it's very similar to that in, in my mind. This is all theoretically, of course, because I do not have children. But you know, there are all sorts of different structures of families that aren't just a mom, a dad, a kid. There are like, single people that want to have a baby there are widows, there are parents that live with their parents. So there are like grandparents in the house or sisters and brothers, you know, like aunts and uncles all living in the same house. There's just so many different ways to do it. There are friends that co-parent. There are like all sorts of things out there. So I think to ask how do polyamorous people with children navigate that it's like well how do monogamous you know couples raise kids it's it's a general question as that it's like I can think of so many things that come up there it's like you know how do you have an infant and the two of you have to be working like well that's that's fucked up because then you have to also pay for a nanny Um, Like if you don't have access to a family member that will help you raise your kids um, until they're old enough to like babysit the other kid. It's just like seems wild to me. I'm like, how does anybody do anything? Honestly, (laughs) me sitting in my high horse of double income, no kids. I don't know how anybody has kids. 
uh, nowadays. And it seems almost easier to have like more people on hand to co-parent with you. Like I, I did date someone who was very kids minded, like in the next couple of years, they wanted to have a family, wanted to start a family, and they were a polyamorous person. Um, so they are kind of doing that thing of like dating to marry, you know, you know, that mindset of people that date to marry, and it's more about, it's not really person first dating. So I wasn't a huge fan of like, going on dates with this person and trying to date this person when their main goal was like the having the kids thing. It felt very much like dating to marry, which is um, why I mentioned that because it was dating to have kids, dating to procreate, right? And they were just trying to find that person that will do that with them. And um, yeah, it felt like very much like it was not person first. I was like, uh, but yeah, there are, there are definitely polyam people that want kids. And um, yeah, there are also a lot of families, polyamorous or not, that there are multiple people raising kids. And yeah, those exist and they figure it out. And I'm sure it's good at times and it's shit at times. And that's, that's life, baby. Okay, here's one that I'm not 100% sure what they want from me, but it says, what are your thoughts on chastity, particularly longer chastity? It's something I find very common online and feel like it's treated differently to other kinks if the sub does not enjoy. So they're saying that the expectation in online play is that the client is in chastity. That's almost like an expectation or it's so common that it's kind of treated, yeah, treated differently, they said, to other kinks if the sub does not enjoy it. So, yeah, whereas you might kind of talk about the kinks you want to do, and it's very common to, you know, not enjoy all kinks. But when you say chastity is something you don't want to do, um, that the dominant might be like, what? Or like judgy or the ex or expect that they would be into that. Yeah, I think it is very common to do chastity um, with online play because that is a kink that makes a lot of sense for online play. That's why it's so common because it's something you can do separately with check-ins, you know what I mean? And you can kind of set it and forget it. And it's this form of remote play. That's one of the great things about uh, like long-term chastity, like using devices and cages and orgasm control is that you can do it that all from afar, you know? So I get why that's like super common. It's unfortunate that, um, you know, you've experienced the provider treating you differently. Uh, if you're, if you say you don't want to do chastity. Um, I mean, my thoughts on that is that then find it, find a provider who will engage with you with the kinks that you want to engage with. <laughs> I don't know. That seems like, that seems like not the person for you if you don't want to do chastity and the person's kind of frowning on you uh, for not wanting to do it. That seems like a not very ethical dom. Or that seems like a dom, there could be a couple things happening, you know. Maybe you're approaching this dom who knows, maybe you're approaching this Dom, their main thing is chastity, and it's plastered everywhere on their socials. And you're like, I want to play with you, but don't do chastity. And the person is like, well, duh. Why are you talking to me? You know, that could be a thing that happens. <laughs> so like, make sure the person that you're asking to do online play with does do, like and get wants to engage with the kinks you want to engage with. Sometimes that takes a while to find a person. But also like, pay attention to their feeds. If the only thing they're doing is chastity or it's coming up really regularly in their feeds, then maybe that's not the person for you. So move on. And my personal like thoughts on it professionally are like that I don't, I mean, I'm, I don't do ongoing online play with people. Like at this point in my life, I'm only doing in-person sessions and I'll do custom videos, but like, that's it. I don't do any long-term dynamics because I find 
um, you know, whatever play you're doing, chastity or like whatever, these ongoing dynamics, they can just be very, um, very emotionally laborious to maintain. It's like you're dating another person. It's like you have an LDR. And me at this point, I'm like, I would have to be compensated so much to engage in that way. Like talking to a client, you know, multiple times a day, uh, you know, exchanging pics and vids and like doing just like this constant kind of maintenance that to get me to do that at this point in my life, you'd have to pay me like so fucking much because I have no interest. And I honestly don't even know, like, what would be, (laughs) what would be the price? Fucking high. So that's my thoughts on it. Other than that, yeah, chastity is a lovely kink. Orgasm control is a lovely kink. And one that specifically works really well with remote play. Let's take a moment to talk about our lovely sponsors, shall we? First of all, ComeAsYouAre.com is a trans-owned, trans-operated sex shop that also happens to be feminist and anti-capitalist. They carry only the best sex toys and want to give you the best price possible. Next time, use the coupon code BEDPOST, that's B-E-D-P-O-S-T, when checking out at ComeAsYouAre.com. Club M4 is the largest sexually charged lifestyle club in the GTA. And they have sexy themed events running all the time. Here's just a few as I'm scrolling through their Instagram, which is located at Club M4 Events. We have threesome Fridays. We have a sexy plus size play party. A night revolving around mini skirts. Naughty on a school night. Ooh, and a bi-pleasure Wednesday night dedicated to all things oral. Well, if that doesn't get you excited enough, you can head on over to their website at clubm4.com to investigate even further. The club is located at 1989A Dundas Street East in Mississauga. You can come by and see what a club made for swingers by swingers is all about. Okay, here's a question. Here's a good question that I feel like I've got a lot to say about. It says, what is topping from the bottom? I love that. So this phrase, topping from the bottom, is a phrase that describes, like in kink culture, this is a a phrase that is a negative thing that happens where the submissive is trying to control the scene and is trying to tell the dominant like what to do in the scene so it's got a negative connotation this phrase topping from the bottom uh because you know the what is supposed to be and again i'm going to put that in quotes what is supposed to be happening in in a scene is that the dominant is supposed to be the one in control and deciding what's happening so but this phrase is very loaded you know what i mean this phrase topping from the bottom often is uh informing submissives that they can't have a say what's happening in the scene that they don't get to collaborate in a scene, that they don't get to speak up if they don't like what's happening in a scene, right? And to me, this is like this thing of fantasy versus reality. It's like, okay, sure, the fantasy in a scene, a lovely little fantasy to engage in is a dominant doing whatever they want to the submissive. That's a lovely fantasy, But the reality of an ethical kink scene is that you are collaborating and you're negotiating and you're both getting your wants, needs, desires met and you're both having your limits and boundaries uh, respected, right? So the reality of a kink scene is very different than the fantasy of I do whatever I want to you. You're my little plaything or you're my slave, which is a word I don't love to use but so it's in quotes um my little fingy quotes over here so yeah I I feel like I don't I don't like this phrase topping from the bottom because it is 
creating misinformation surrounding uh, kink, right? So somebody hearing that phrase in a negative, you know, in a negative connotation, people don't realize that the reality of a scene, you should be respected, you know, and that, so that can be very dangerous, right? Somebody who thinks that they can't say no, that's very fucking dangerous. Or that they'll, I don't know, the dominant might be mad at them for safe wording, or that they have to push themselves, or that they have to endure when they don't want to, you know what I mean? Like, someone forever ago was getting my advice about beginning kink, and she was like, I think I just need to become, start to, I need to get used to the fact of being uncomfortable, you know what I mean? Because I'm used to having sex where it's like you're receiving pleasure and I need to really get like get used to like pain and stuff, you know what I mean? Because I'm not used to it and I don't like it. So I have to like learn how to like it. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, no. <laughs> you can do so many kinks that don't involve pain or being uncomfortable. Like that's an experience that people desire and or want to explore with and play with or get peppered in to other types of play. Like that's not the only way to do it. You can have lovely, sensual, pleasurable kink scenes. There are lots of kinks that don't involve pain. So I feel like this phrase is like perpetuating that, that idea. You know what I mean? That kink is, yeah, maybe kink is pain. And then the coupling thing is that kink is like power dynamics let's say is that the dominant does whatever they want to you and that's just incorrect but there's another kind of element of this because it specifically says topping from the bottom it doesn't say dominating from the submissive power dynamic you know what I mean because topping and doming are different and bottoming and submitting are different topping just means the person that is doing the thing and bottoming just means the person that is receiving the thing like the activity so it is borrowed from queer culture you might have heard you know if with queer people that you know one is a top and one is a bottom and like you know and there are versatile people that are verse there are like other things on top of this lately that have come up like a side you know if you don't like to top or bottom. But that is very much a term that is from the queer community. So topping the top means the person that's doing the fucking and the bottom is the person being penetrated. So for instance, why how these are different than dominating and submitting, you know, for instance, somebody who is bottoming, so getting fucked, you can be dominating the person while you're getting fucked, like you can be doing whatever. You can be inflicting pain on them while they are fucking you. You can be degrading them while they are fucking you. You can be telling them what a good little pet they are, like what a good dildo they're being for their mistress. Um, You can be ordering them to do all sorts of things while they're doing that. Maybe they're in chastity while they're fucking you with a strap on. Like, There are lots of scenarios where a submissive person would be topping. And um, conversely, I mean, one of my, one of my ways that I've done the, one of the first ways I'll say that I've topped uh, golden, golden showers was actually not me not being in the dominating position. Like I do that professionally now where I'm dominating someone while I'm uh, topping a golden scene, so peeing on someone. But my first experience with this was actually I was a submissive uh, in a relationship and they were dominating me to top a pissing scene for them. So they were like within like ethical, the ethical power dynamic roles, they were quote unquote, making me piss into their mouth. And it was kind of humiliating for me and embarrassing for me and vulnerable for me that in these like really hot ways to piss into their mouth. So like, that's, you know, and and there are a 1000 examples of how a submissive person can be doing the topping. So yeah, those are the I, I feel like that phrase topping from the bottom is just so dated at this point, because 
these terms, you know, mean very different things at this point. And it perpetuates, yeah, that the, just that stereotype that a submissive just has to do whatever. Um, and it's quite harmful. So I don't, I don't like that. And I, I, I tweet regularly about this phrase. Um, I'm just like stuff like things that are not topping from the bottom, you know, requiring extensive aftercare, safe wording, collaborating in a scene, um, requiring in-depth negotiation beforehand, like all that stuff is not topping from the bottom. And um, yeah, I think the Anyways, yes, I've said enough. <laughs> I've I have answered the question. <laughs> Check. Oh lordy. So this next one says, as a provider, which activities in a session are most erotic for you? Bondage, impact play, medical play, it says. I think erotic. It's this worth this word erotic, right? Because there are all sorts of different lovely feelings that come up when you're dominating someone as a provider, right? And there are all sorts of reasons people go into kink and all sorts of feelings and, and intentions underneath why people enjoy kink, right? Being aroused is not the only thing that's like, it's not just about that for everyone, or it's not about that at all for everyone, right? So... I get a lot out of dominating people as a provider being like turned on is not a place that I, uh, not a thing I access regularly in my pro domination. Right. And that's just a me thing. There are lots of other things I get out of topping and dominating in a professional setting. That's not really one of them. Sometimes that happens. And I would say out of these like three activities that are given, I'd say probably medical play is the one because that's like one of my main kinks, you know? So it's interesting when you're, when you're a switch, right? Like I can be facilitating a scene that submissive me thinks is really hot. And I'm like, Ooh, I would love if somebody said this shit to me, you know what I mean? And I can do really nuanced kind of scenes if we have like similar interests, like me and the client surrounding MedFet, then I find myself more erotically engaged, right? In scenarios like that, where they do really hit on my own personal kinks. But the truth is, in general, I facilitate a lot of kinks that are not necessarily in my top 10. You know what I mean? So I think MedFet is, is one of the ones that does engage me in a more erotic way. Here's one that will be very quick because I don't have tons of insight, but it says any queer spaces in Toronto you'd suggest for someone to dip their toes into stripping. So like queer strip clubs, those don't really like, well, by queer. Yeah, I I don't, I mean, there are lots of places along church that, you know, they're not strip clubs, but they're performance spaces. Um, there are lots of burlesque is very queer, right? So what depends what you mean by stripping. Also, it's like, there are lots and lots of queer burlesque uh, performers and producers in Toronto. You know, as far as burlesque goes, that's something where like a producer will produce a show at a space. It's not like you can go to a space and then be like, I am interested in stripping here. They'll be like, what? Um, <laughs> you, what you need to do to dip your toe, as it says, into stripping is, in, say if it's in the burlesque community, then it's like you need to be pro- approaching the producers. You need to be taking classes from like the producers. Like, I'm not sure post-COVID what's going on as far as classes and stuff, but yeah, there were a few kind of figureheads in the burlesque community that were teaching classes and stuff, and that's kind of how you would come up into burlesquing, uh, is like through their workshops and stuff like that. I mean, you can also be producing your own shows as well, depending on your experience level and whatnot. Also, just like dipping your toes into stripping, that doesn't mean 
into performing stripping. So yeah, maybe classes, take some pole dancing classes. There are, I mean, I teach a lap dance class out of Oasis. That's, that's something. As for actually strip clubs, I don't have much of, um, much insight into that. But yeah, there are lots of queer spaces around Toronto that have queer performers. I would start maybe, I mean, Glad Day uh, Bookshop is one of my favorites for seeing queer performance. But yeah, that's it, I guess. I don't have too much to say on that one. Next question. How would one bring up a kink they are interested in after being in a long relationship? Okay. So this is you being in a long relationship with this person, but never actually bringing up your kink. Aw, that's tough. Because I'm sure there's a lot of history there that I don't have any insight into. And honestly, it is a high stakes conversation, having this conversation, waiting to have this conversation like until you're in a long relationship with the person, because ideally you're front loading all that information, right? But yeah, there are lots of people that end up in long relationships and they've just never talked about it. So I would make sure you have some support surrounding this conversation, you know, make sure you have somewhere to go because like you have to make sure number one that it's going to be safe for you to talk about right um make sure yeah if it if it doesn't go well that you've got a plan um but this is a tough one because this is a really loaded heavy kind of question right um what I usually tell people if they want to like like a bit earlier on the relationship, if they want to bring it up, I usually advise that people are like, Oh, I listened to this podcast on pegging. Do you know what that is? Have you it was really interesting. Can I send you the link? You know, what do you think? Have you ever heard of that? Blah, blah, blah. And you can kind of gauge their reaction that way. And it's kind of a little non little less committal. It's like, Oh, I saw this documentary on on domination. And it looked pretty interesting or hot or whatever maybe we could watch it together or you know what do you think what are your thoughts what are your experience with that it depends where you are on like do you know this person is specifically not interested in this thing you have to kind of break down what are some assumptions I'm holding about this relationship I think that's something that you'll need to do because that happens right This could be a lot of internalized kind of phobia happening, maybe surrounding other relationships you've been in or growing up, some negative messaging you receive surrounding your kink, right? That you are assuming that this person is going to reject you. And that's why you've never told them. You know what I mean? It's that fear of rejection. So that could be independent of this person. Maybe this person is super sex positive and would be interested in exploring with you, or if not, would be interested in entertaining the idea of you seeing a provider for this, or, you know, I don't know, maybe this is not even a monogamous relationship. And maybe you, you know, having other play partners is a possibility, who knows? I would definitely prepare, you know, you got to prepare for the worst, right? So make sure you've got lots of support in place and like hope for the best. You know what I mean? And I would give people like what I do when I disclose something. This is not someone I've been in a long term relationship, mind you. But like early on, I'm like, hey, here are some things. I'm a sex worker. Um, You know, they're a little list of things. Right. And I'm like, I'm available. You know, if you want to ask me about these things. I can give you resources, you know, so like maybe you have some really great websites lined up that you can have at the ready to show this person so they they can have more information. I usually inform the person like, you know, you don't have to get back to me on this or talk, engage with me immediately. You can take your time to do your own research and thought, have your own thoughts and stuff, but it is important to come back and have engage with me on this and have this conversation rather than like, don't just go away and then 
make a decision and then come back with your decision. It's like, let's, if we're in a long relationship, it's like, okay, let's, let's talk. Let's talk about this. That's what I need from you as a partner, you know, is to see me and hear me and be supportive. And I will be supportive, you know, conversely of like all of your insecurities maybe that might come up or questions or confusion that might come up surrounding a disclosure conversation like this. You know what I mean? But yeah, I I think kind of planting that little seed of like, ooh, I saw this somewhere or ooh, I've been interested in this recently or this has come across my feed a lot recently and I'm kind of getting curious about it or I might might want to do some reading on this. It's like, that can give you an idea of where they are as far as that goes. Like if, do they even know what it is? Do they, you know, maybe they've had some experiences with it that will kind of prepare you to having like a follow-up conversation about it. If you choose to do that, just their reaction to the first part of it. Okay. And I think I'll end it there. Um, because that is all the questions I have. (laughs) Um, again, if you like this episode, there are more like Q and A's on the Patreon. Um, I usually put the Q and A's on the lowest tier. So there's a $2 level there where you can have some access to Q and A's if you sign up. Um, and then, yeah, if you like just me talking about stuff also, like without a guest, then you will definitely like the Patreon. Once again, you can find that at patreon.com slash the bed post show. Also, I'd never like to go an episode without thanking the lovely lady that does all the original music for my pod. She is Stephanie Copeland, and you can find out more about her at stephcopelandmusic.com. Next week, we'll be right back to normal with a guest, fun and sexy guest, right here in the studio, talking about sex and sexuality. Until then, get fucked, everybody. Goodbye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.